0: Welcome to season three of Above and Beyond, and episode number one in season three will bring us Matisse Thibel, a local basketball star from the Seattle area where he played his high school basketball, became a stud at the University of Washington, helped the Washington program go from worst to first, dead last in the Pac-12 while he was a Husky to winning the Pac-12 title this last basketball season in 2019, and ultimately for Matisse, becoming the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year. But that's not why the youngest contributor to Above and Beyond is a part of this episode today. It's because of his incredible journey. It's because of the heartache and the pain and the grief that he had to overcome as a high school senior with the loss of his beloved mom to leukemia. You will hear in his journey, as young as he is, just a profound depth and incredible faith and the perseverance that's made him, yes, a great basketball player, but even more so, a tremendous young man that is so locked into his faith in this journey. So Matisse Stibel was born in? Phoenix, Arizona. Born in Phoenix, Arizona. By the way, congratulations. You are the youngest participant yet in the above and beyond series. <laughs> yeah. Most of them go back to like, well, I was a total mess in college. And that's when I really figured myself out. So you're the first one, Matisse, that's really coming right out of college to be a part of this. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. You're born in Phoenix. And as I read through some of your journey, you end up at a very young age in, of all places, Australia. Mm-hmm.
1: How? Um, so my dad had a work opportunity out there. Um, I think I was like one or something. My mom was pregnant with my sister. And it's funny, like when my mom and dad tell the story, they're like, your mom almost gave birth on the plane. Like it was that close. Like we were flying out um, to Sydney. And so we ended up living out there for for four years. Long enough for, my sister was a citizen because she was born there, but long enough for my mom and I to become citizens.
0: Long enough for you to remember and have memories of Australia?
1: I do, I mean- it's it's like how do you forget growing up on like the most beautiful beaches in the world like and i mean just things are so different there like and for christmas for me growing up like my santa claus wore a speedo and rode a surfboard like uh, like those kinds of things like those are like the fun memories that i have and like um just also like when we moved back like i'd never I'd, the climate i grew up in i was born in phoenix is 100 degrees year round there it's miserable and then we went to australia where it's beautiful all, all the time. And when I got here, I saw snow for the first time. And was like, what in the world is this stuff? Like, Because even like Christmassy stuff was not wintry. It was summer because right. the seasons are opposite.
0: And then you end up moving from Australia. Is this when you then come to the Pacific Northwest?
1: We moved around a couple of times. So like we moved back and forth from Arizona to Sydney twice. Oh, wow. Yeah. My, my dad will never let my sister and I forget this, but we, we had a family vote. And it was like we had reached a point where like we didn't need to be in Australia anymore. So my dad gave gave a vote, and my sister and I we counted as half a vote, and my mom and dad each counted as one vote, and we got a vote on where we moved. And my uh, our options were like go back to Arizona, stay in Australia, or move to Seattle where my mom's um, parents are. And Chloe, my sister and I were just like, well we're like australia was normal to us like we didn't we didn't really appreciate it for what it was like well yeah we'll move so we both vote um seattle and of course my mom voted seattle because she wanted to be with near her family and my dad was unfortunately outnumbered and (laughs) he had to just kind of suck it up and move us out to, to seattle
0: and at what age was that i was in third grade now is there a faith element in your home
1: at that age, whether it was Australia or Arizona or up here in the northwest, did mom or dad? Growing up, my parents were very like I mean, it's a trend throughout my life, but they they didn't really force anything on us. Their their whole philosophy was just like give us as much as many options and experiences as possible and then like allow us to make the decisions. So growing up, um my my grandparents are very Catholic. So we went through Catholic school, we went we did Sunday school, we did um I was confirmed, and we did all those things, but also, like, um, my best friends growing up and, like, to this day are Jewish. So like, I celebrate a lot of um, the Jewish holidays at their house. Um, my mom's boss was Persian, and they they uh, practiced Baha'i. And so we would go to their house every other week and sit in on that kind of stuff. So, like, I got a cool, like, spectrum of... And I had friends... Well, my, my friends growing up were all Christian, so I got to see, like, a whole... I got to see a little bit of everything, and so I get, there was never anything from their side that they really pushed for us. And
0: then ultimately, uh, you go to Skyline High School, and then ultimately to Eastside Catholic for mm-hmm. what, your last two? Last two, yeah. Your last two years. Mm-hmm. And how did that shape or mold you?
1: Transferring Eastside Catholic was probably one of, aside from going to UDAD, probably one of the best things I ever did. I'm not very extroverted in the sense like I go out and make a lot of friends, so like being at Skyline is a huge school, and you can get kind of lost in just the crowd and and aside from basketball like, that was that was like a huge thing that I struggled with was like not i didn't really have uh, like a group like a niche or there was no clique that I belonged to like I was just kinda out there in limbo didn't like the cool kids wasn't cool enough to like really fit in with the jocks and like wasn't actually a nerd, so I couldn't completely relate with the, <laughs> with, the with the smart kids so like i i like I was just kind of like in limbo and then basketball wise they didn't um they didn't really believe in me and, like, what I could do. So when it came to a point where, like, I was really, really frustrated with life, school, and basketball. And my dad, his whole thing, throughout the whole thing, was, like, I, I, you can't quit. So, like, I had so many times, I was like, Dad, I'm done. Like, so it would be, like, summer playing at Bellevue College. I'm like, Dad, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, no, like, you, like, we our family you're not allowed to quit and I was like okay so then when it got to the point where things had just kind of gotten so far out of hand my dad gave me the option like you can you can transfer and I like, continue this at just another school and so we of course Rainier Beach wanted me to go <laughs> and we're like that's a little that might be pushing it a little bit like I don't know if we're willing really to make that commute but um Eastside Catholic was not necessarily known for basketball they had a decent team that was getting better um but it was a smaller school, and my grades weren't terrible, but they weren't great at Skyline. And also just being in a smaller classroom, like more in, intimate setting was was something that I liked. So my parents, they figured out how to make it work, and they got me to just go down the hill literally to uh, Eastside.
0: It's been neat, Matisse, learning your story, and, and certainly over the tournament run this last season, so much of the exposure, the visibility that comes with all of that as you and your seniors really turn the program in so many ways And I think anybody that uh, followed the story, whether you were local like I am here and we find ourselves in Seattle or from afar, got a chance to get a pretty good glimpse of your dad (laughs) as well as your mom. We learned about both of them. Can you talk to me about mom and dad and the giftings that they both brought to the table?
1: Yeah. um, Mom and dad. Mom and dad not sit together at my games (laughs) because as I'm sure you guys have all seen, my dad is embarrassing and it it all comes from a place of love and excitement and just being a proud father but like he himself even understands what 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 he is so he separates himself so like it in in high school games like he also um he would like record a lot of them so he stood by himself like no nobody sat or stood or talked to my dad during my games because like this was his time (laughs) and and my mom um like for those who don't know like she was very athletic she did triathlons and she was a naturopathic doctor. She did nutrition things. She trained women to do triathlons, and so she would. She was like the mom running in like ten minutes late because she literally run from home and like so she's sitting on the side like on the bleachers stretching and like trying to cool down. And I'm like, my mom's over there drenched in sweat, like sweating and all this stuff. I'm like, oh my, like, and my dad's up in the stands screaming his head off, and like, like it was embarrassing growing up. But like those, like, like those, those are my parents. But yeah.
0: But they brought their two giftings together. Mm-hmm. It sure sounds like Matisse to pour into you and your sister.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I am so blessed and so grateful to have the parents that I've had, and like it's, it's been exciting. It's been cool, like a cool journey for me because like the older I get, the more I appreciate them and like what they did and who they were. Because like as a kid, you don't have anything to to compare anything to. So it's like you just know what you know, and it's like now that I've gotten older, I can. I really can appreciate what, what my parents bring and brought to the table. And like I said, I try to be more, I've said it before in interviews, I try to be more like them every day because the, the more I learn and the more like I can like reflect on what they did for me as I was growing up, it's like, those were the best role models I could ever have.
0: So you transferred to Eastside Catholic. I love one of the stories that I read about you way back when, even I think, I think it's Skyline where you were uh, defending Levine way back when, and people got a glimpse of how important defense was to you, even at a very early age. But you transfer over to Eastside Catholic. You're growing in your athleticism. Mm-hmm. You're growing in your game. And then ultimately, walk me through just kind of the process of your junior and senior year at Eastside Catholic and all
1: that you journeyed through. Um, it was like a lot of just like learning about myself, finding myself on and off the court, on the court like my junior year was probably the first time anyone had heard of me as a basketball player with that, like within the city, like people were like actually finding out that I was decently athletic and like I could make some plays. And then like, so like a little buzz started to happen and this was not something I was used to. Cause like I was a kid who wasn't good enough at skyline to like really play or like be a serious like player or whatever on the team. And yeah, like off the court, i my mom had just gotten sick around that time. So it was around the time like your, like my junior years when I started getting recruited and it's so like, I was going on visits and things like that. And like the recruiting process is a really exciting time. Cause like there's, you have all these college coaches who first of all are a really big deal to you. Cause you're so, like high school kids looked up to them your whole life. And then at the same time, they're making you feel like you're a really big deal. Cause they want you. And it's so like, it's this really exciting time, but for me, it was hard because my mom was going through um, chemo. She had gotten uh, diagnosed with leukemia. I was coming back from, actually, an AU trip. And I literally just got off the plane, and we were driving home. And we get inside, and my dad's like, all right, we need to do a family meeting. And, like, I'm in a good mood because I just, like, got home. And I'm like, okay, like, let me go put my stuff away. I'll come back right down. And he's like, no, 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 like, let's do it right now. And my sister had been home the whole time. So they, they knew, but like up until this, my mom had been taking like a lot of naps and been really tired. And it was just like uncharacteristic of her cause she was just so active. So like, I never, I didn't think anything of it. And like, she had been, I knew she'd like been looking into it cause she was a doctor just doing blood tests and like trying to figure out what was going on. But like I said, I didn't think anything of it cause she was super active, like the healthiest person I knew. Um, and then they sit me down and they're explaining like, what the disease is. And, like, trying to help me understand, like, there's, like, the, I, I can explain, like, the red blood cells were mutating and fighting against each other and, like, causing problems. So, like, I didn't, they're using a whole bunch of language I didn't necessarily understand. Mm-hmm. So, like, I couldn't necessarily pinpoint, like, well, like, what's wrong? And then, like, they finally get to the point, like, your mom, like, mom has leukemia. Um, and, like, It's like a weird, I don't know how to explain, like, trying to understand what that means in the moment. It's like you've, like, one for me, like, this is, this has always been, like, the example of the golden standard of health for me in my life. And, like, for her to get a disease or, like, to get cancer, like, didn't even make sense. So, like, this was, it was, it was a a really confusing, like scary thing for me to try and like wrap my mind around, especially just being like I don't know, I must have been like fifteen or something, trying to just figure this whole thing out. And but her whole thing through the her my mom's thing and my dad's thing through it all was like this wasn't gonna take away from my sister and I's like life. It wasn't gonna take away from our experiences. Like they never wanted it to be something that one, we worried about or two, like would not allow us to do the things that like we needed or wanted to do growing up.
0: It just feels selfless almost at every turn from hey, a family vote of where we're going to live at a young age and empowering very young kids to be a part of that Mm -hmm. to what you said earlier and introducing you to people in faith and perspective. It feels almost at every single turn that mom and dad were incredibly selfless. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. um, Like I didn't even, through everything, through my mom going through chemo, all of that, I never actually understood how hard it was because we didn't get to go see her every day like my dad would, but my sister and I couldn't because we didn't drive and we had practice and all those things and my parents weren't going to let us, like, be removed from that. And it's so, like we never saw, I never saw my mom when she was having a bad day. I never, so, like, whenever I saw her, she was smiling. We would go for walks around, like, the concourse in the hospital, like, the they they did a really good job of taking on a lot of the pain and, like, the burden that came and that comes of being in a situation like that and put my sister in a position where we didn't feel like we had to worry. And it wasn't like we were just, like, being ignorant and, not, like, not actually understanding the situation. It was just, like, when we saw her and when we talked to her and when everything we knew about what was going on, it was like she was good. Like, she was beating it. She was fine. And, like, she was tougher than it was going to be okay. So, like, we never actually had an understanding of how hard it was because they took that all on themselves.
0: And then at what point, Matisse, did that turn?
1: We had a team camp. We went to Gonzaga for a team camp. And, like, um, my mom would really like Gonzaga. We'd gone the year before. And uh, when I got back, my dad sat me down and told me that my mom – had actually almost died while I was at team camp. Um she had gotten a I think it was a bone marrow transplant from my aunt and her body rejected it and while I was away like she was like inches away from death and I had no idea. And they my dad didn't tell me. He didn't tell my sister. He he actually told uh coach Mark Few about it, but like made sure that I wasn't aware actually of what was going on, and then when I got back and realized and, like, found that out, I was, it was, like, a weird, I was conflicted because I was, like, really happy that my mom was okay, but I was, like, upset that I didn't get the chance to, like, know what was going on, when it was going on, but, and then also at the same time, like, appreciating what my dad was trying to do because, like, you can't, I'm six hours away at Gonzaga like, if he had told me that and then, like, we'd try to get me to go, like, it would have been a, a, a colossal thing and it would have been really, really hard for, like, a 16-year-old kid to, like, try and deal with mentally.
0: And as that season unfolds from that point when you return mm-hmm. to playing throughout your final and your senior year at Eastside Catholic.
1: Yeah. Um, she, yeah, so she, she had beat, she got through that time and then. Um things were looking okay and like I said before like I thought they were okay cuz we didn't know any better. Um and it was actually the it was the night of the Super Bowl, I think. Mm. Um my dad was like you need to go get your sister and come to the hospital. And I was like oh, okay. Um and like he made it seem urgent so like I was like speeding I went to go pick up my sister. It's like I don't know, ten o'clock at night. Um, there's, uh, we're, we're driving to the hospital, and like, uh, my mom had gone into a coma, um, and so it was like it was me, my sister, my dad, both my grandparents, and my aunt, and a like a I think it was a, cha- a chaplain, and we went into this room, and there trying to explain to us like what was going on and the chaplain was there for us to talk to if we needed anything and we we stay at the hospital for a couple of hours but it was a Sunday so we had school the next day and my dad was like there's like you guys can't just be here worrying like you guys might as well go home so I took my sister home and then we went to I saw my to fall asleep and when by the time I fell asleep I remember like being shaken awake by my dad and my sister's already awake and he's like, Come on, we gotta go and like I'm half asleep, I have no idea what's going on and we get in the car and we're driving and I'm like, like dad, what's like what's going on? Um and he's like, Yeah, we're gonna have to say goodbye to your mom. Uh and like that's all that was really said. I had, had no reaction. My sister had no reaction and we just kinda sat in the car and made the drive to Utah hospital where she was at and it's like one thing that like people do when they get um diagnosed with cancer like have um certain illnesses is like I think it's called your four wishes, and it's like how you want them to go about taking care of you if you uh if something happens and you end up passing away and one of my moms was that she did not want to be kept on life support or anything like that so when it had gotten to that point that was when my dad came and woke us up and was like it's like we gotta go and yeah so like that was that was one like the like scariest strangest like when something that like it was so traumatic that like I couldn't I can't speak for my sister my dad but like I couldn't exactly like feel or process anything like I was just numb to it all and like going there seeing my mom in the hospital like it doesn't like it wasn't her like she had like I don't know whatever like people want to believe but when she was on life support like I that was no longer her keeping her alive like when I saw her like it was she was no longer there and so like one of the hardest things for me to see was my dad because he didn't I don't think he really processed or understood what was going on in that moment but when they took her off life support like that like for me I had already accepted like that she was gone once I saw her in that state because I'm like this isn't her but for my dad when he saw her he like he felt like there was some part of her still left but when they took off life support like that was kind of that moment for him and like watching like it was like a Punched to, like, the gut for him. And, like, watching my dad go through that was, like, on top of that being one of, like, the hardest, scariest moments of my life. But, like, to see how hard it hit my dad was. Honestly, because I wasn't so numb to everything else, was, like, even harder and scarier. And, yeah, and that that all happened, I think it was Monday morning. It might have been, like, 2 o'clock in the morning by the time this was all done, and, like, you just, like, you, it's like, the weirdest thing. You're just, like, you have no, it feels like you have no path, like, no guidance anymore. Like, what do you do now? And, like, for me, I was, like, I want to, I go home, go to sleep so I can go to school tomorrow, because, like, I can't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't just be there in my thoughts and just, like, sit in and, and, like, think about what happened. Like, I had to I had to try and get back, or like try and do something normal, because like I wasn't, I wasn't ready to really try and understand what had just happened, because like it, like my whole world had just been shaken up, and like for me, it was going to be easier for me to just like, kind of put it on the back burner, as opposed to like try and really understand what had just happened. So like I went, my sister couldn't do this, and my dad didn't go to work. But, like I went back to school, and I ended up, as I'm sure you know, I went, I went and played. I think it was two days later in my senior night, and that was um, that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And you didn't just play; <laughs> I mean, you <laughs> you bawled. Yeah, it was. I I couldn't tell you anything that happened during the game. Oh, like I was like I said before, I'm still numb from what had happened, and I was. I don't know how I did anything that day. There, I all I have. Are the memories from the pictures, like, there's pictures of me with my, my family, and, like, I, I rem like, from that picture, I remember having, like, be carried, like, you, you do your scene, like, like, you hand your mom the flowers, and you guys walk down and take the picture, and, like, I had to be carried by, like, my family, like, my grandma, my aunt, dad, sister, grandfather, we, like, they all had to carry me down the court, because like, I couldn't, I, I didn't know, I, Yeah, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I I didn't feel like I could do it. But, like, yeah, they helped me, and they were there for me.
0: How often do you share this story?
1: In this much detail, I don't think I've told a lot of people that much.
0: Well, it means an awful lot to have you express this and share this. And grief is... insurmountable at times it's overwhelming how then do you walk through your grief matisse as you finish your senior year and ultimately this door at washington
1: then opens for you um it's hard um like one of like the last one of the last memories i have um like not last memories but like of my mom being at home with us and, like, just, like, a really vivid memory was my birthday. So I think it was my 17th birthday. Um, she had just been, like... She had gone to her mission and she had just been told that, that cancer had come back. And um, she was really, really upset about it. And so, like, my birthdays, I don't like to go out and celebrate. I just want to be with my family and, like, my close friends and just, like, I have dinner at home. So that's what we did, and then everyone left, and my mom gives me, like, a big hug, says happy birthday, and then she starts crying, and I was really confused because, like, we, she had been in a good mood all day, like, it was my birthday, like, everyone was happy for the most part, and, um, so, like, I thought she was, like, upset that, obviously, because the cancer was coming back, and that meant she had to go back to the hospital, but, like I give her a hug and she's crying. I'm like, Mom, I'm like, what's, what's going on? Why are you crying? And she, what she told me was like, she was just upset that she wasn't gonna be able to see me play. So, like, for me, like, moving forward, like, that was one of like, a huge motivating thing for me and just like a, like a crazy powerful moment because, like, my mom. Understood basketball. Like she could tell you what a three pointer was and a dunk and all that stuff. But, like. She didn't really get like the the like the deeper details of basketball, so like for her to want to see me play meant like it was just like just to watch me and see me be passionate and having fun and like like having whatever success I have because for her it wasn't about like the points or the steals or the rebounds or why not it was just about like me doing what I love and it's so, like for her to be on my birthday like that upset that she can't even and like I said before, through the whole process, they kept so much hidden. Like, she couldn't even keep that in within herself that, like, she was crying that she was, wasn't was going to be able to see me play. It was, like, that was, one, super, really shocking for me just because, like, I didn't, I, I, you never really understand how much your parents, like, care or how proud they are of you. But, like, in that moment, I think it kind of just, it showed me and solidified for me that, like, the, this basketball thing it means a lot to me, but it like, meant the world to my mom to be able to see me do it and to have fun and just all the things that come with it.
0: I think as a parent now, and I've got aspiring young basketball players, Matisse, right up there in, in Sammamish as well, I think it's probably watching your kids maximize their gifts. And for your mom and dad, and certainly for your dad, and <laughs> his consistent cheering is to see you just use this gift you've been given and maximize it, man, does that make a parent really, really proud. Um, I am curious. This is the intersection of faith and sports, this mm-hmm. Above and Beyond podcast here. This life-altering, life-changing moment that that is on your shoulders at 17 now as you walk forward, this gift you have that you know you want to play for your mom and for others. But also putting this in perspective in your life as a seventeen-year-old, what did it do to your faith? What did it do to your own personal growth?
1: Before I went to Eastside, I never like went. I never really went to church on my own. Like, I didn't have like a like a Christian. I went. We went to Catholic mass, but like for me and my sister growing up, like that was like just not very fun. And um, but when I went to Eastside Catholic, I, I just got a friend group and like we would go to it was city church, church home Um and so like as everything was happening it was when I had started going to um, that church and so like back to what you said, my mom one of her things was like everything happens for a reason and when she passed away I was that was like one of the things like I started to gather through like becoming more invested in going to church and learning about Jesus and the Bible and everything that comes with that, but also just like trying to find like, not just like find an answer to like, what, what was that reason? But just like, just be able to find like comfort in knowing that like there's something bigger that I just don't get. And that like, there's somebody out there who is looking out for me. And, and for me and my sister, it was actually huge. My sister, became a huge part of her church at Timberlake and actually gave her testimony in front of, like, the whole church. And it was, like, this incredible moment. And for her, it was, like, extremely fulfilling. And she 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 put it perfectly, and I th- feel like it was um, – I could relate, but when my mom passed away, she was, like – it kind of, like, left, like, this gaping hole in me that, like, I didn't know how to fill or what to fill it with. And she said, like, when she found her church and – began to grow in her faith like that was what started to fill that for her and like my sister's two years younger than me but she put it in a way that like so beautifully and elegantly that I like it really like resonated with me and was something that I was able to grab onto and and it gave me understanding and helped me grow even more moving forward.
0: and coach Romar's influence
1: yeah um I don't think a lot of people know this I hope he doesn't mind me sharing but his mom passed away actually on uh, I think it was like three or four years before mine, but on the same day. So February 2nd. Um, so we shared that date together. So we, went two years I had him, we would go, uh, we would go get breakfast on that day and just like, it was no basketball. It was just like human interaction. And we would share stories and just, and just talk. And it was like, for me, it was really nice to be able to relate with someone because it's hard to one is hard thing to talk about two it's a hard thing for people to like really understand that they haven't gone through it so coach Romero was huge for me in that sense because when that stuff happens like you can feel really lost and him being such a like such a strong man of faith and he was not he never pushed anything but he was always just so open and just so accepting and a servant leader in a lot of ways Uh but him and I were able to share that together, and he, to this day, he texts me on that date and just constantly checking in and just making sure that, and we do it for each other, just knowing that like our moms are are watching over us and they see everything and they get they they know all the success we're having and and it's nice to be able to talk to someone and just know that they're proud of us.
0: Servant leader.
1: What is a servant leader? I think, I think it shows up in a lot of ways, and I'm, I'm lucky to have a lot of examples in my life. But, like Coach Romar, it's hard to find good enough words to really describe the type of man that he he is because he gave so much, and and I think one thing that is taken for granted, but is so much of his time, and his attention, and he like he made every single person he interacted with feel like they were incredibly important and all of his interactions were extremely genuine and for him being in the position he's in like people look up to him and people just want to be able to say they talked to him and met him. And so I saw a lot of his servant leadership was done just through like making people feel seen and heard and using his his platform as as something positive, just being an example. And like so for me being with him my I've never been like a, I said, I'm not very extroverted. I'm not like a huge, who's usually like outspoken leader, but, and leadership always made me uncomfortable, but he was one of those people who helped me understand that you can lead by example. And like, I mean, like with Jesus, like a lot of the things he did was being an example for people. And, and for me, like not feeling like I had to change who I was to be this rah-rah outspoken leader for these guys but just be myself and and be honestly like more like my dad or more like coach romar or Mm -hmm. like there's countless other men in my life who are who are great examples of what it was to be a servant leader and i and to get back to your point it's like just just giving and i think like giving in any way you can like a lot of people get like get it confused like you don't have to give money like to give back and Coach Romar was like one of the first people that really showed me how to do that. And this, the, my whole time at UW has just been like learning how to, to grow in that sense.
0: How in, can you in this day and age, Matisse, and I said earlier, congratulations, you're the youngest above and beyond participant yet. <laughs> There'll be parting gifts on the way out. <laughs> but how in this day and age that you live in, this generation you live in, this gifting that you've been given through basketball, how can you be selfless? How can you be a servant leader? How can you be humble when so much of culture is trying to promote you and your brand? I like to call it an Instagram world. Mm-hmm. I want to develop an app called teamagram <laughs> where you can't take a picture unless it's with somebody else. Oh, I would uh, love to see that app. That would actually be really cool. A Temogram, yeah. <laughs> everything is all about, about you. And you know, and just I'm I'm living it. I'm raising kids in it. So mm-hmm. you can't like throw it away, or I'm just going to block out the world. No, yeah. we are. We live in the world, we walk in the world, we're not of the world, but how do you through this stage of life that you find yourself and in, in the circles you find yourself
1: in be a selfless servant hearted leader i mean i for me it's it's easy like I just don't like accepting for me my my success was never i never felt like like I did it if, if that makes sense stay with me like I didn't feel like it was like oh i I worked so hard, I did all this I made these shots or stop they got these steals it was like I was given an opportunity and I say like this little prayer before every game and I basically just I thank God for the opportunity ask him to play to the best of my ability but more importantly ask like to let him to be an example of him and just let him play through me so like everything I do on the court is not like a and for me it doesn't process in my head it's like oh I did this I should be so proud it's like oh I had something through me did this and it's like they're not my achievements they're more so like I, I, couldn't, I don't know what to attribute it to necessarily but like it's just not a lot of people get consumed and like your ego grows because you feel like you've done so much but it, it doesn't really get to that point for me because I don't feel like I'm doing all these things I just feel like I'm a vessel and I just happen to be the vessel that ha- is achieving this stuff I don't know why I ask myself sometimes like, I travel a lot now so I have a lot of time to think and it's I like I'll be sitting on a plane I'm like why like why am I me like that's a question that I've been like trying to not understand because I don't think I ever will but just like come to terms with and I think that's a question that that helps me kind of stay humble because it's like I didn't I didn't choose. I didn't. I didn't get the choice to be Matisse Seibel. I didn't. I didn't choose to have all this success on the court. But for some reason, I get to be this person, and like because of that, I feel like I have an obligation to be to be humble, be servant leader, be all these things because I now have a platform where I can impact a whole bunch of people. And and it's so like to just get back to the same point. It's like I don't. I don't feel like it was my doing to get to where i am now it was the man upstairs has a plan and he's put me in these positions and so my whole thing through is just finding ways to give back and just be an example like my dad showed me my mom showed me coach romar showed me coach hopkins
0: i like what you just said follow me on this one They okay, <laughs> follow me on this one then two fronts in that way number one Michael Jordan got cut from his eighth grade basketball team mm-hmm. and became the greatest player in the world. You, it sounds like, Skyline didn't think too much of Matisse Seibel, and then Matisse Seibel was named the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year in basketball.
1: Oh. Might I add, sorry, one sec? I didn't start, um, I think it was my sophomore year, because the coaches told me I wasn't good enough at defense. I just, I just thought I'd put that out there. I don't even know if this coach remembers if I remembered that. <laughs>
0: And then this last year, you win the National Naismith Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. That's one level of it. The other one is you said you didn't choose. You didn't choose, obviously, to lose your mom in high school. Mm-hmm. You think you'd be sitting here today with this platform? No.
1: And I don't think something that's helped me a lot is, like, with this platform and with what I've been through, I can now relate to a lot of people who can't, normally don't have someone to who can relate to them and just like knowing that I can help someone just by being an example and just being who, who I just being me is like one of the most powerful things ever. So like I've, I've talked to close friends about it before, but my mom passing away was the worst and the hardest thing that ever happened to me. And I would never wish on anyone, but it's, it's opened up so much for me in terms of like, being able to give in so many different ways just knowing people knowing that I can I've been through it and I've been able to get to where I am today with that and I guess it's, an, it's a blessing but like you would you wouldn't think of it in that sense because it's such a traumatic thing and just so devastating but it's it's been a blessing for my life and for so many other people
0: if you wouldn't mind, you're a three-point shooter. Just three things, three little topics to dig into here from your perspective. As a young man who's pursuing his dreams, as I'm going to be praying these NBA doors open up and mm-hmm. the right door opens up for you, Matisse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but three things. Let's let's define this in your life. Humility.
1: Um, I'm humble because it's it's not me. It's a is God. It's not. I don't have. I don't have a hand in what all this is. It's it's something else coming through me, so I don't I don't take credit for it.
0: As one who's had a really hard time walking with a friend of mine who's <clears throat> 2 years later having a really hard time with grief, how do you define and just process that grief?
1: Um i And I think my mom set a good foundation for me, and it was just like telling me from a young age that just everything happens for a reason, and finding comfort in that is not easy, and it's so much easier said than done but like i've I've been able to see so many beautiful things come of my mom passing away and although i wish I wish she could be here to experience everything that I've been able to achieve but there's so many people that get to be impacted because of her and the fact that she's not here anymore so for my my way of grieving and processing that grief is just knowing that this it this isn't happened to me it happened for me and and this is this is something that happened for a reason and and taking that and using it as fuel to to make things better because of it that's what i do
0: and then lastly perseverance because your story collegiately wasn't one where the door opened an incredible man who I love and respect and Lorenzo Romar got to turn this program around it was the other way midway through your career new leadership came in place Lorenzo had other doors open for him what after going through these last two seasons and making it to an NCAA tournament and going from worst in the conference to first in the conference and going from a a coach, your sophomore year of high school, telling you you're not a good defensive player at one high school to the defensive player that you're nationally. What is and how do you define perseverance?
1: Um, oh man, that's that's tough because that's even. Um, I I think it it some of it even goes back to for me like when I was ready to quit from Skyline because I was just so frustrated with my situation and my dad was like, the way he said it, he's like devils don't quit. He's like, that's that's just what it is, and like he, he there was no, there's no option to just give up, and so for me, perseverance was be, knowing that there wasn't just a choice to quit and just tap out and be like I'm done. Perseverance was just finding new ways to to get through whatever it is that, that you're struggling with, and and that can be from failures on the court, hard times off the court, but even like success. Like I've been, I've been on some pretty talented teams and I've played with some even talented players and it's it's hard to not let that success get get to you or it's hard to not let other people's success and that comparison get to you and just like through everything just finding a way like there's always going to be a way you wouldn't be putting you're never going to be put into a situation that you're not going to be able to find a way out of or a way through so for me knowing that you can't quit is is kind of like goes back to like knowing that it it goes they go hand in hand like you can't quit because there's no reason to because there's this isn't something that you can't get through so like for me perseverance has always just been finding that way
0: and then lastly it's really neat in this podcast world we live in this platform in particular Matisse people come to and they want to find it and they want to hear your story and I know people will listen to this and they're going to be lifting Matisse Thieble up in prayers. What do you want out of this gifting you have, these opportunities you have in front of you? What would be the prayer that you would say, yeah, if you could lift me or my family through this journey, this next step, major step in my life, leaving college and into the unknown of of professional, what would be the prayer?
1: Hmm. I mean, there's so much, there's so much change that's about to take place in my life that I don't really understand yet and it's going to take a while for me to get used to. And I don't know being in the position I'm in I, it's easy to get caught up in the achievements or the success or where you are in life and and I think for me I just always want to be able to like I just want to be able to stay true to myself and and being grounded in who I am because it's so easy like you talked about earlier this world of Instagram like it's so easy to lose yourself or try to become someone else, but like my advice to all my friends and like my sister and things like that is just like just find out who you are and stay true to yourself. And that's what I want to be able to try and do for as long as I can because I know what I, I feel like I know what I'm supposed to do, and and giving it anyway is, is what I want to be able to do for the rest of my life, and never losing sight of that is probably something that's going to be pretty important to me.
0: Above and beyond the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com.